If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome everyone, this is Voices in Data Storage, brought to you by Gigam, and I am your host, Enrico Signoretti. Today we will talk about uh, data protection. And uh, of course, data protection is something that evolved tremendously in the last few years, okay? We started with uh, physical system, moved to virtualized infrastructure, and we saw a big change there. But actually, the cloud uh, really changed everything. Now we have environment that span between uh, the public cloud, hybrid clouds, uh, private clouds, uh, SaaS application, and uh, you know mobile devices. It's crazy, right? And we need to protect it all, especially now with ransomware, malwares of any any sort, and and solutions that are in the market today. Okay, are somehow. Uh, changing as well to to cover all this and maybe more. Okay, to talk about this, I invited today Anthony Spiteri and Michael Cade. Both of them are senior technologists uh, in the product strategy group at uh, Vim. Hi guys, how are you? Hello, how are you? Okay, before getting in, into the details, maybe we can start with a short introduction about yourself. Uh, and what you do in, uh, in the company. Yeah, no worries. So I think I'll start, Michael. Um, so, yeah, so um, I've been with the company just over three years now. Um, actually started almost at the same time as Michael, uh, and we both work in the product strategy group in Veeam. So, yeah, what that means effectively is that we're um, the conduits between um, our research and development team and the field. And, you know, when we talk about the field, we mean um, internally with our sales organization, our SC organization, but also more importantly, um, customers and partners. So, you know, the, the team is respons- responsible for um, product feedback uh, directly between those two sort of lines. And, you know, it's a pretty cool job because not only do we get to interact with our customers and partners, but we also um, attend most of the major conferences around the world, present at them, um, and also then locally into region, we attend lots of um, functions and lots of conventions there as well and we're lucky to be able to create the content and present in front of people so that's uh, effectively what we do um, it's a pretty good job and you know, good to um, be working with Michael uh, most of the time um, just personally with myself um, I've been working in IT all my career and actually been majority working in the service provider space that's my um, my area of expertise so I've been lucky to work at ISPs and ASPs and hosting providers and infrastructure providers pretty much my whole career before I started Veeam. So my focus is certainly around um, the cloud, working with our Veeam cloud and service providers and just seeing you know, what's happening in, in that area as well. So yeah, that's me. Uh, Michael, do you want to explain what you do? Yeah, yeah. It's obviously exactly the same as, as Anthony, but... I think another focus that we that we massively well, that really has grown as we've grown in our IT careers is around community. So we're members of like the V Experts, Cisco Champions, all of the all of the awesome community programs out there. We're really vocal on on Twitter as well with our our wider community um, people out there. 
and uh, just from so from my personal background so i've also been in it since since the day one where i started building building computers for cambridge university in a small little village out there and then moved up into more of an infrastructure guy so virtualization storage storage being probably my my biggest background and as we move into these new worlds of hybrid cloud and and where that data resides workload resides that's a, a big big shift and a big change for for me and but also for the the whole community i think uh, and and sorry i didn't ask you about vim but actually i always think that uh, everybody in the IT industry knows about Vim. Maybe a short update also about Vim could be of help. Yeah, so those, like you say, Enrico, everyone probably has heard of Vim. We've just ticked over the 13 years. Um, We've got 365,000 customers across the globe. We really started as a focus around virtualization backup, specifically around VMware. And then over the last 18 months, we've really broadened that that data protection angle, built out a platform where it allows us to protect SaaS-based workloads of Office 365, within Office 365, agents for both Windows and Linux and, and some other older legacy type type um, infrastructure. And yeah, and, and really, but we're still focused on that backup piece, but broadening more into the the other aspects of where that data can reside. What I wanted to discuss with you guys today, I mean, uh, as I said, now the world is hybrid, or at least this is the direction that many, many companies are, are taking. And it's a little bit more difficult than in the past, you know, taking care of all this environment when when we have, you know, different silos at the end. So it's not a single huge data center, but actually we have data that are now uh, created and consumed everywhere, okay? So what what do you see in the field from your customer asking, you know, uh, for this kind uh, of uh, data protection? Are they still looking for point solution? I mean, do they want to protect uh, their their Office 365 in a different way than they do with their virtual machines or are they looking for something that is more you know uh, integrated in a single platform yeah so i'll take this one so i think it's interesting you talked about this whole new world of you know the fact that people are consuming different types of platforms for their applications and where they store their data um, and that means that not only is their data sprawl but there's tremendous data growth as well and then they both pose you know, particular challenges. But in terms of the sprawl and the ability for, you know, organizations to back up their critical data across multiple platforms, um, you know, what we're seeing is people are only really reaching an inflection point now in terms of them understanding that they need to look at this from a holistic point of view, okay? Whereas before they understood that if they had had some VMware virtual machines, they needed to back that up. And then if they had a little bit of information in, um, in, in Google somewhere on a Google Drive, they, they might think about backing that up. But, you know, the, what normally happened, though, is the pieces of data that were off-site, not on-premises, but maybe in cloud-based situations and platforms, they weren't really considered as data that needed to be backed up because a lot of people probably, you know, thought that because it was in the cloud, it's backed up natively. So... What we've, what we've seen 
specifically in the industry in the past sort of 12 to 18 months is that you know, organizations are becoming more aware that even if you've got your data sitting in, say, a SaaS-based platform in a drive somewhere that's cloud-based, you still need to consider backup because just because it's in a cloud, it doesn't mean that it's going to always be available. Um, so that's one of the big things that I think we've seen in the past, like I said, 12 to 18 months is a realization that these different workloads need to be backed up still in a similar way to what you would have considered your on-premises workloads. Um, and that's why we've seen tremendous growth in, say, our Office three uh, backup for Office three six five product. That's actually become a fastest growing product um, of all time, actually. So, you know, the growth of that's tremendous, but it's only been able to grow because people are more aware that they do need to back up their Office three six five data. So it's definitely a different world, Enrico, than what it was, you know, even two to three years ago. But what I am trying to understand here is more about the fact. Uh, hmm. But is, what I'm trying to understand here is uh, more around uh, their strategy. I mean, uh, do they think about uh, the cloud, for example, Office 365, as a separate silo or uh, as a part of their entire infrastructure? And I mean this because, uh, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the guys that manage Office 365 um, are part of a totally different uh, team in the organization. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, my, my personal view on it is that at the moment, it's still relatively siloed, um, but that's more from an operational perspective, like you say, because they're, they're different teams. Typically, the infrastructure team might be not the ones that are looking after the software as a service uh, exchange, for as an example. So, you know, I think to a certain extent, they are siloed, but what they do want and what we're finding, obviously, is that they want, you know, a particular vendor to give them um, the flexibility to back up all of these siloed platforms, okay? Because holistically, they're siloed, yes, they're all separate. But I think what um, organizations do want is a single platform that is going to have all the, the ability to back up all of that data across multiple platforms. Michael, what do you think on that? Yeah, I think I think what we have to, and, and this is a trend that's kind of coming to fruition now, is people are now understanding a little bit more about what that data set is and where it needs to reside to get either more efficiency, whether that's cost, whether it's performance, or whether it's there to provide a better better business reason for it being there, better business outcome. And I think as people need to really understand what that data is, that then determines where that data needs to reside. And things like, like SaaS-based products are really really the way forward in terms of being able to remove that headache of looking after the underlying exchange environment, the infrastructure behind that, the operating system that then runs on that, the clustering, the HA. By being able to just migrate into Exchange Online, Office 365, you take away that that head, headache of that. And Anthony, I know you were an Exchange admin back in the day as well, so you know what that mm. you know what that's that that's like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's just the changing dynamic of what it is to operate something like Exchange. I mean, it's, it's effectively been offloaded to the cloud now, and that just changes the way in which that the IT ops needs to think about backup as well. And uh, uh, what, what do you think about... Uh, no, and uh, you guys come from two different parts of the world, okay? So Michael is, uh, is still in Europe, and Anthony is in the... Um, is in Australia. So, wh- what do you see in these 
different regions. I mean, aren't the adoption of these tools and these methodologies similar? Or, you know, there there are some regions that are way ahead. I mean, I, we know that uh, everything happens first in uh, in US usually for, for cloud, from the cloud perspective. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting actually because, you know, actually if you, if you talk to even VMware, um, us as well, they will actually say that um, the majority of innovation or, or a thirst to try new things actually happens in New Zealand first. Um, ironically, New Zealand seems to be leading the world, not only in the fact that it gets um, to, it gets the day quicker than everyone else because it's, it's first in the time zone, but they seem to adopt technology um, quicker. And that's reflective um, in the whole of ANZ, so Australia and New Zealand. Um, so Australia and New Zealand um, was always traditionally the most highly virtualized um, region in the world. Um, you know, probably now everyone else is caught up. But certainly in Australia and New Zealand, um, for some reason, virtualization took hold quickly and then the percentage of virtualized workloads took hold even quicker. Um, and that actually was a similar um, pattern to the adoption of software as a service as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's quite interesting here. And what's really interesting about that, though, is that in the wider APJ region, which you know, we kind of we look after a little bit, um, in the wider APJ region, the uptake of virtualization and cloud and software as a service is actually probably five years behind the rest of the world. So it's just really interesting that ANZ has always been sort of, you know, first to adopt, um, almost like a test bed, and then the rest of Asia has been a little bit slower, almost the, the last in the world. Michael, what do you reckon about um, England, the UK, and Europe? Well, yeah, so, so Europe's a... A funny one, right? Like we can literally get across the whole of Europe in four or five hours worth of flight, but then you hit X amount of countries over the over the, the route. So I think one of the biggest things for us is the location of where that data is being reside, like where that data is residing. I think, especially with the recent last couple of years, two yeah, last couple of years, eighteen months has been around regulation of data. GDPR compliance hitting from an EU perspective, but we have lots of little or smaller countries that we have to potentially keep data locked within the the four walls of that that country for regulation purposes. And I think that that's a big challenge that I've seen over the last, especially over the, this year. People are again understanding what that data is, why we need to keep it. And then they need to understand where they're keeping it and make sure that it, it's also regulated from that, that perspective. Yeah, so from this point of view, we can say that US comes first, most of the technology starts there anyway. And then we have uh, uh, regions like uh, uh, APAC that maybe there are some early adopter, very advanced, but mostly they uh, fall short in the in the um, you know wide adoption while in the in europe we have you know yes uh, maybe european regulation that uh, force us to 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 look into new things and uh, and uh, in general to uh, to look at data protection okay more closely but actually everybody in, in this country so we have a lot of small countries and uh, and everybody at the end of the day has to think with the local regulations or, you know, sometimes also with the, with the idea that they don't want to keep data too, too far from their 
business. So it's a little bit patched kind of kind of thing that maybe we can see on every every segment of uh, IT, not only data protection. And you talked about regulations, but uh, you know, and and the advantage of being a data protection vendor. Is, uh, is in the fact that you are collecting data from a lot of sources uh, in the company. Okay, uh, what I'm seeing more and more often now is that on top of, you know, the traditional data protection tools, we are adding more, okay? Uh, many vendors are working uh, on the mechanisms to dig into the data and, uh, and try to find uh, information useful for the business, for compliance, and so on. And I know you launched it in, uh, uh, in May at your corporate event, you know, something really cool around data management. Maybe we can talk a little bit about data management in general when the sources back up. Yeah, so I'll take this one. So I think one of our key focuses, yes, it starts with potentially around backup and recovery, and it needs to now it needs to span. We've just spoken about how workloads are moving into these various different pockets of, of infrastructure or platforms that we can that we can leverage as a production point and being able to use those those workloads. But obviously, we need to be able to back up that data up, and regardless of where that is, it needs to be backed up. And it needs to be made available so that if anything does happen or anything that if there was a problem, a failure scenario, then we need to be able to recover that. So I think that that could be potentially the first bullet point in what we believe is focusing around cloud data management. And then you've got where just because those workloads today sit in Azure, AWS or on-premises in, in vSphere, doesn't mean that in 90 days' time that that or in between that 90 day is the most relevant place or the most efficient place for that workload to reside. So we've got to then look after the mobility of that data and that that function of being able to take workloads from on-premises and push them into the cloud or back again or um, and put them into a different cloud just based on a level of reasoning why that is, whether it's efficiency, like I said before, whether it's speed, whether it's cost, whether it's just being able to provide more agile infrastructure for that because of what because of Black Friday, right? We're recording this actually on Black Friday. So being able to burst that workload into the public cloud where we have ultimately infinite resources to be able to use. And then on Monday or maybe Tuesday because we've got Cyber Monday coming up as well, is that we can pull up that that data, we can pull that workload back and put it back on premises where we know we've got this constrained infrastructure that we've already paid for and we don't have that burstable um, cost as well that we have to consider. But then we get round to the, the areas that you mentioned, Enrico. So how do we how do we provide some sort of analytics to that data? How do we provide the ability for our end users to go into that data in an isolated fashion? and be able to actually pull some insight out of that and be able to then provide a better way of, well, we know that it's costing X amount here or it's more. It's going to be more efficient if we run it on-premises. Or, and then also on that same vein is the governance and compliance that we've also mentioned. How do we push that into an isolated environment? How can we enable people to do more with that data to then really extend or make 
make better better business choices around that as well. And then all of that really ties into orchestration automation in terms of being able to make those decisions or, or act upon those decisions or that insight that we've we've gathered from that from that um, leveraging of that data. Yeah, and and also it's interesting to to see that uh, if I look at the market now, okay, with uh, uh, several vendors working on how leverage the data that you actually have, so and and uh, understand better that data, understand better you know the value of uh, of all the data that you have in your company. Uh, it comes to two different approaches. Okay, one is build an application to do some data management data analytics or whatever directly on top of the you know um, data protection platform and the other one is to give others the mechanism the you know um, apis or whatever uh, to you know um, access this data so specialized application that uh, uh, are built by third parties or by the community so that uh, you know, it's not the data protection vendor that has the full control, but actually, uh, by giving it to others, maybe you can uh, you can find a, a solution that are more focused on the market segment. Because sometimes, you know, if you are an SME, you don't have the, the same needs even for analytics or whatever than a large enterprise. So, and while on the other side, <laughs> by having everything integrated. Maybe it's easier to adopt or, or other things. I know your your stance on this because you 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 announced the product that uh, uh, it's in preview, right? Uh, I'm talking about the data integration API. Yeah. So uh, let's talk here. So uh, you you announced it first in in May and then last week in uh, Techfield Day you you talked about uh, it again. So the data. Uh, that integration APIs, but uh, but uh, you know what is the status of this product and what's your expectation? What you, uh, your customer are asking from it? Yeah, so this is interesting because this, this goes to the whole you know situation where once you have backup data, what do you do with it? How do you make it more valuable um, for the customer? So. You know, the data integration API is, is the first step for us. I mean, we, we've actually, to be fair, um, made the data work before. So we've had um, things like Data Labs, which allows us to, you know, instantly um, mount uh, backup data for validation, you know, just to make sure the backups have gone through. So we've, we've done stuff in the past to actually, you know, make the data that is backed up valuable. But where this is going um, is more about activating the data. So having these massive data lakes that have your backup files, what do you then do with them? So the data integration API works by effectively exposing um, the backup data um, and mounting that data to some system or some platform, which then can be accessed by a third-party application to run analytics um, over. So, you know, it's interesting because traditionally we're very agnostic. That's one of our, our core pillars as a company. We want to be agnostic for our customers. So we don't want to dictate, um, you know, what particular piece of software or hardware our customers use. We give them flexibility of choice. This data integration API is very much built with that in mind because what we're doing is we're mounting the data and then letting our customers choose their tool to either run 
um, a check against maybe and trying to find some ransomware, trying to find credit card information within that data. Um, that's kind of what this has all you know been laid out for. So that's going to actually be part of our V10 release, uh, version 10, which is due um, very early uh, in the new year. And it's going to be a feature of that release. So um, effectively, you'll get that when V10 comes out. And we're quite excited about that because we're keen to see what our customers are going to be doing with this functionality um, and what it's going to offer them. Yes, and as far as I know, there are already a few integrations uh, coming from the, the community that are pretty cool. So the, you, you have this very large community that you built uh, across the world and over time. And, and actually, sometimes, you know, getting uh, these little pieces of code that just, you know, resolve your your day sometimes, they, they, they are pretty good and they come for free because it, usually it's open source. That's right. And if you look, we've, we've actually had an open, um, we've got what we call Veeam Hub, which is a, a GitHub page where, you know, community members can basically put their code um, for everything Veeam. So that's actually um, been around for a couple of years. It's very mature and it's got, like you say, in Rico, lots of different um, code examples actually already in there and you know the data integration API is certainly one area which we will hope our customers will um, create new bits of code and new um, solutions which hopefully we can share with the community because like Michael said that's kind of where we're at and where we're thinking. And uh, when we are talking about the data integration API you mentioned uh, ransomware I mean this is one of the hottest topic in the industry and looks like the data protection is becoming the tools the, the tool to prevent uh, not not to prevent because you know uh, but but to 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 fight uh, ransomware okay uh, while usually when we talk about security we think about firewalls we think about you know attack surface of of uh, of application uh, sorry, attack surface uh, uh, on on the infrastructure and so on. Ransomware is a very sneaky thing, and you you discover that you were attacked when it's usually too late. Everything is encrypted and everything stops. It's like a major disaster, right? Yeah, it's it's a huge issue and it's it's got lots of public attention, right? So, I mean, specifically the date where the data um, integration API can help is that because. Typically, and you know, Enrico, as well, a lot of ransomware basically lies dormant on these systems um, for, for months, so even years potentially, before they actually you know, get activated by some trigger um, in the system. So one of the good things about the data integration API is that you can mount your backup data from yesterday, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and effectively run it um, against antivirus protection or a ransomware checker to try and detect ransomware. Um, and therefore, what you're actually doing is you're detecting this dormant ransomware before it actually impacts you. So that's just a really good example of being able to activate the data, um, you know, the backup data for good before you get hit by ransomware. I think, Michael, actually, you even showed this um, a couple of months ago at a, an event that we had. Yeah, so it was actually the Cloudfield Day, so back in April. So as much as, yeah, if you've been attacked or you think you've been attacked or you're just generally just going to restore some data to back into the, the live production system, then we've got the ability to do what, what Anthony just said about being able to trigger that antivirus scan. But what we've also done, that, that same API, I guess, is, is, is exposed so that when we do things like direct restore to an AWS EC2 instance or an Azure 
VM or whether we're taking a a, a Hyper-V VM and we're moving that to vSphere or a, a physical machine and moving that to vSphere just from a recovery point of view, we can also trigger that that scam, that antivirus scam. We don't necessarily, we, we're not, we're just telling the antivirus software to perform that scam. We're not, we're not, we're, we're not the security guys. We're not the, we're not, we don't have our own antivirus definitions. We just expose this, this, um, this feature out to, well, any, basically any antivirus software that has a command, command line support function and they can, we can trigger that. We can trigger that antivirus to, to perform that scan and and yeah and make sure that, that that workload is not not compromised before it goes back into wherever it needs to needs to be. Well, sometimes it's uh, uh, it's not only about uh, the data management piece, but the fact that uh, you know if you have a some sorry, some sort of fire gap between uh, the data backup repository. And 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 the rest of infrastructure. Maybe you even if you can't analyze the data and something very bad happened, you can still restore your data. I mean, one of the major problems is that uh, lately uh, ransomware is very very smart in how attacks the, the infrastructure. So the the first thing that they try to do is to encrypt the backup, so you can't uh, you know retrieve your data. But actually. Uh, looks like that uh, uh, this is changing. I mean, um, more and more vendors are trying to to build uh, immutable backup repositories, and uh, you know, uh, to prevent uh, malicious uh, changes in the in the backup files, for example. Are you? Uh, how are you uh, implementing this kind of techniques? Yeah, Enrico, it's, it's almost like you were there at a tech field day seeing the presentation <laughs> that we gave. Um, yeah, so obviously um, part of V10, so in, in version 9.5 of backup replication update 4, which we released um, earlier this year on the 22nd of January, we released a feature called the clouds here. And the clouds here effectively leverages object storage as an extension um, of our scale-up backup repository to allow you to offload data um, from a local repository into an object storage repository. And that object storage repository can be um, Amazon S3, it can be Azure Blob, it can be S3 compatible, okay? So effectively, what we did in the, the existing version that's out is that we we moved data from um, the local on-premises location to the object storage. Um, part of V10 is we're enhancing that to increase, uh, to add a couple of things. Um, the first thing is a copy mode. So we're going to basically have the ability to instantly copy the data um, from the local performance tier when it's created by the backup um, engine and effectively copy that into object storage. What that does is it creates a whole new copy of that data in the object storage. Um, so you've got two distinct copies and one being off-site, you know, very off-site in object storage. In addition to that, we're also introducing an immutability feature um, that's compatible with Amazon S3 um, and also S3 compatible that supports um, Amazon object lock and object and versioning as well. And what that's going to do is that effectively puts an immutability lock on the most recent backup files. And you set that as part of a policy when you create the object storage repository. And then if you say set it for 30 days, it will mean that as soon as the backup files get created locally and are then copied into the object storage, 
they are mutable for that set period of time, which effectively means that ransomware has no way to actually change, you know, those files that are up there. Um, so, you know, that's one way to protect it. it, it it's not ransomware protection per se in that it's not going to stop something happening locally. You'll still get, you know, hit locally. You'll still have the ability to, you know, to recover but fundamentally, what's different is that once those files get up into object storage, they're locked. Okay, they cannot be altered, they can't be deleted, they can't be changed. So you can basically remount them, re-inject um, the backups into a backup server anywhere, and then effectively restore from that point forward. So yeah, the immutability is something that's coming in, and we're really looking forward to that. We think it's going to be a very big feature. Yeah, for me. We are talking about, you know, uh, a simple approach to problematics like ransomware without spending a huge amount of money. I mean, uh, creating complex infrastructure is easy for everybody, uh, but then you have to manage them. You you have to pay licenses or hardware or or whatever. With this kind of feature, I mean, you can uh, bring uh, ransomware protection with just a bunch of best practices and some cloud storage. I mean that that's uh, that, that's you know also also because from my point of view it's not the large enterprise that is you know uh, at risk with ransomware uh, as much as you know the small company uh, they they don't have the you know the the budget they don't have the you know the tools to to make you know sophisticated scanning on Exactly, yeah, that's correct, Enrico. That, that's why, you know, the fact that we're simple, reliable, flexible, but also agnostic, so again, not locked to any particular hardware, and we're going to work with anything. We've made it very, very simple for this feature to be effectively just checkboxed, and you set the policy, and then your backups are protected, and they are mutable. So you're right, it's going to be a very simple solution um, for those smaller companies. So we, we talk a lot... A little bit of everything here. I mean, you know, data protection, SaaS now, and we got uh, data protection uh, being at, uh, again, at the core also of some data management stuff, uh, being important for uh, uh, security, ransomware. So looks like that uh, more and more we go on and data protection becomes a, a critical component more than even more than in the past okay in in every infrastructure what what do you think uh, about the next steps i mean where are we going as an industry and uh, what our users are asking for the next step of uh, their data protection strategy yeah i'll take this one i think i think we're in the at the moment we're in this adoption phase where we're seeing a lot of customers really heading into that that hybrid cloud mentality. They've made a huge investment for their their systems, their infrastructure, their platform that they have on premises, yet they can see absolutely the benefit of the public cloud, the hyperscalers, and you can see the, a lot of the conversations that, that we're having, they're, they're absolutely trying to leverage that, that platform within the hyperscalers, whether it's Azure, Google, or, or AWS, or, or any of the others that are out there. Uh, I think that has to be a focus from a data protection point of view. We've actually got next week at, at AWS reInvent, we announced our ability to agentlessly protect uh, AWS EC2 instances 
in a very easy, simple fashion. So there'll be a lot of news around that next week. Uh, two weeks ago at Microsoft Ignite, we announced exactly the same for, for Azure. If you look at both of the interfaces, they look exactly the same. They're just leveraging APIs underneath that perform different functions at the at the relevant public clouds. And that's really going to allow us to, to protect those workloads natively within within AWS and Azure. And the biggest point to that is, yes, that allows us to protect those workloads that customers have moved up, but the format of the, those backups are still going to be in that our, our Veeam portable data format, the VBK format. So now that format can still be read by Veeam backup and replication on-premises. All of the recovery options that we have, whether it's guest file level restore, whether it's application item, restore or even the the cloud mobility story that we have around being able to take that data take that workload and convert that into an azure or aws um, vm or ec2 instance so that whole flexibility that anthony briefly just touched on is expanding more into that into that into the platform to allow us to protect those cloud-based workloads with and then the next phase is around, right, so where do we go from a, it feels like there's a there's a toe in the water around platform as a service, people actually migrating from on-premises databases and pushing them natively into, more into RDS or whether it be SQL as a, as a PaaS solution. So looking at whether we need, how we protect those workloads from a, from our customer's point of view and, and researching into into that and how that needs to look because just because we did it on premises with SQL, then it's going to be potentially a different approach. We can't just lift and shift. A bit like to to put that into perspective, if if you've got the the traditional traditional infrastructure guys that ultimately me and Anthony are and, and but we're moving into more of this cloud and cloud native type workloads is very much the the time that virtualization hit is a lot of the data protection vendors out there, they just took their agent that they were protecting from a physical point of view and they put that onto a virtual machine. Then Veeam comes along and changes the way we protect those virtual machines in an agentless fashion. And then it's really about how how more how how efficient, how fast performant can we be in those those areas. I think we're at a point, an inflection point now where whatever we do next is not going to be the same as what we've done before. It has to be a different approach. And then, yeah, and then as we move into that PaaS type workload, then you've got, okay, more cloud native, changing the way the the actual application even looks and feels, so more containerization. And we're we're absolutely looking into those areas as well as how people adopt, adopt those. And, yeah, and speaking quite closely to, like VMware's engineering, VMware's show this year, I know you were there, Enrico, was very much around Kubernetes and how they're going to provide their infrastructure, their operations guys that have known vSphere for the last 10, 15 years with the easy button to start getting into Kubernetes and start really focusing on on that area. And so from a data protection point of view, it's a very different function. It's a very different look and feel. So we have to be very mindful of that on how we protect that the stateful data that comes comes with that. Well, something that you um, you said is really 
really, really interesting. I mean, uh, when you start talking about, you know, protecting data in different uh, uh, types of environment and then converting, uh, you know, virtual machines, for example, in uh, AMIs or whatever. And uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, so data protection platforms are also becoming somehow um, data migration tools. And um, so in the long term, you know, I can think about this, especially because the data integration APIs, for example, you know, you, you can start backupping the Microsoft SQL and then converting it into something else that uh, is available in the cloud, you know, and uh, this kind of thing. So, again, you know, at the first sight, if you think about about a backup as a liability, as a, a way to protect your data only, okay, that's a little bit of a boring thing. I'm sorry, guys. I know you, you work in this field. But if I think about different aspects that data protection brings on the table, and we're talking about many of them, okay, many potential use cases on top of the data you are protecting, then it's fantastic. We, we have a lot of potential there that we can just uh, uh, exploit with, you know, a little bit of integration and some features that uh, maybe will become uh, one click and go. And uh, well, from my point of view, it's amazing. I, I don't know, uh, but, but um, you know, the, the, from this point of view, the, the world is really changing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right, Enrico. The backing up is kind of a table stakes, right? We need to understand what that data is. How can we fast? How can we take a backup as fast as possible? But it's kind of table stakes. Everyone, everyone, all of our competition, we can all do it. We can all back up. Now, the, the first cool part is how quick can you recover? How quickly can you recover? For, and where, where are you recovering that from? And then I think it gets into, right, what else can we do with that? Can we leverage that data to do something more? Can we leverage that data to migrate or potentially offer a self-service type sandbox environment to our developers or to our security team and be able to do something along them lines? Can we offer that data out for data classification type compliance or even just reporting so that you understand what, what that data is and that, just have a little bit more focus around what is that data? And then you've got the whole monitoring and analytics. I think that's really where that the coolness for me at, at Veeam is one not knowing what's what's coming from a from a roadmap point of view because there's so many different angles that we we're exploring and going down. The cloud mobility is that that exactly that is workload migration, workload mobility, being able to move data wherever it needs to be based on insight that we've got from a, a company or a monitoring point of view. But then also being able to orchestrate that workload. Where does it need to go because because of cost, because of performance, because of X, Y, Z? I, I think that's the exciting part from a from a data management point of view. It's not just about backup. It's about all of those other different areas and all of these new areas that are, are coming um, and that are available to our our customers as well. Yeah, and also and also what what makes me excited? It's funny, Enrico, because if you had asked me three years ago, whether I'd be wanting to work for a backup company, I would have said no. But, um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that Michael and I kept very busy on a, on a number of different angles. Um, you know, but when I look at our technology and what it enables, it, it's quite amazing. It's not just about backup. Backup is, is the start. You know, that's what Michael's been saying with the table stakes. But, um, you know, 
we also have a great service provider community that, that offer um, Cloud Connect backup. So they offer a, a repository, a cloud repository. It's very easy to back up into. They also offer replication services. So being able to replicate, you know, more tier one workloads ready, you know, with the press of a button um, for DR purposes, you know. So that's kind of cool. And, you know, I think that's more than just backup. But I think one really good example of, you know, the coolness of the technology and innovation that we have is even in that in that cloud tier that I talked about. Um, you mentioned migration. Um, absolutely, when the new copy mode comes out in V10, that um, cloud tier can be moved for migration purposes. And actually, you know, migrating with really, really small um, RPOs as well because, like I said, as soon as you create the copy of the backup file, it gets copied into the object storage. From there, you can recover it anywhere as well. Um, and then using instant VAM recovery, which is our patented technology, you can bring up those workloads, again, instantly on a vSphere or on a Hyper-V um, within seconds. So, you know, backup in itself, when you look at it just from what backup is traditionally, can be looked upon as a bit bland. But like you said, it's what you do to activate the data. It's how you take the different technologies that a company like Veeam offers and is innovating around and how you then make it work um, in probably ways that you wouldn't have thought they would have worked for you before. Uh, so that's a really exciting part of being in data protection today, I think. That's great. I think we had a great conversation, but it's unfortunately time to wrap up this episode and uh, maybe we can uh, finish it with uh, a few links about where we can find uh, um, information about uh, the Veeam community, uh, you guys on Twitter and maybe Veeam itself. Okay. Um, yeah, so my um, my Twitter is uh, at Anthony Spiteri and I also blog at Virtualization is Life, which is at anthonyspiteri.net. Um, and like I said, I mean, a lot of the content we put up is also um, on the veeam.com website under um, slash blogs. And from a community perspective, um, I've got GitHub going as well. And that all leads into our Veeam GitHub page, which is called Veeam Hub. So from a community perspective, that's what you, you want to be looking at. Michael, do you want to talk about your particular? Yeah, so uh, from a Twitter point of view, you've got at Michael Cade one I'm pretty active. We're both pretty active on on Twitter. Any questions that you've got that you've heard heard today about that would would be more than happy to to answer more into. Um, I also I blog a bit over at vzilla.co.uk. And the only other resource that I'd I'd add in there is the Cloud Field Day, Tech Field Day. We did the Cloud Field Day went really into that cloud mobility and that portable data format. Really interesting in terms of how we do it, different to the others. Um, and then more recently, the Tech Field Day that we've just done, Tech Field Day 20, was where we got to go into a little bit more detail around Cloud Tier in particular and the new features coming there from Immutability that we've already mentioned today, as well as our NAS backup that's coming um, with the with the V10 release as well and a few other new things that are coming later on down the line we got to, we got to mention in there. So. Fantastic. I think we can call it an episode. Uh, with this and uh, thank you again for your time today guys and bye bye if you enjoyed this episode of voices and data storage please check out the other ones unstructured data management is the focus of a report Enrica wrote for GigaOM research to find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies operations and business strategies <laughs>